This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives. On Money Talks, we answer your personal finance questions. To fill in time between your calls this morning, we're going to talk about a number of topics, including choosing a financial advisor and uh, retirement advice that some people tend to ignore. You can email the show. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. So we'd like to start each show each week with financial news in the news. So, Nancy, what do you have for us this week? Oh, so much news, Kevin. So much news. I've got three things. And the first is that the political theater in Washington, D.C. is over. Thank goodness. <laughs> uh, we've got a debt ceiling deal. And um, so it has passed and investors are breathing a sigh of relief. You can see that in something called the VIX, V-I-X, which is a measure of market volatility. And when there's more uncertainty, the VIX goes higher. We've seen it up around 30 at some points. It's now below 15. So we're all calming down. And I want to encourage everybody to see if we can change the name of this debt limit. And instead of calling it a debt limit, because debt sounds bad, and shouldn't we put a limit on it? uh, We should call it the bill paying bill. (laughs) Do you want the U.S. government to pay its bills? Yes or no? And that seems pretty simple at that point. Uh, The second thing, which is the real financial news, is we've got numbers on jobs. Always the first Friday of every new month, we get the jobs numbers that tell us what happened the previous month. And the numbers on Friday were wonderful. 339,000 jobs were added in May. That's excellent news for the economy. We always have to worry if that's going to be bad news for inflation, which means the Federal Reserve will raise interest rates. But buried in that was some really interesting information. The first is that wage growth did not go much higher. It's pretty flat. So that's a positive piece of news as far as inflation. The other interesting thing is that buried in that we also could see that the different people going back to work and increasing their participation in the labor force, we saw immigrants suddenly uh, jumping in. And so we're, we don't often think about immigration and our labor market as being connected, but there certainly are. Just try to get somebody to do work, um, and you're going to be depending a lot on service people, and many of those come from the immigrant workforce. So that's very important. And the final piece of news, which is the most important piece of news at my house, which is from now until June 21st, you can get a free Wendy's Frost. Oh, wow. Now, you, yeah, <laughs> you're going to have to go uh, online and order or use the Wendy's app, and you do have to place an order through their special offers, but it can be anything, and you can get that free Wendy's Frosty. Now, they are bringing back the strawberry ones. I don't know why, because, you know, if it's not chocolate, who cares, <laughs> right? So those are the, the pieces of financial news that I was paying attention to this week. Well, you know, that's interesting, because usually you would think of a, a, an offer or a giveaway like that to tied to something that maybe is not 
selling well or doing well, but I, I mean, I would imagine the Frosty's been around forever, and it's, I would think it was one of their strong items. I don't know. Well, but it's tied to some musical thing. T-Pain, I don't know who T-Pain is, you know. I'm as long sure as we get a free does. Frosty, does it really matter who he is? <laughs> but it is some promotion for his record deal that's been released. I guess it's a record. I don't know T-Pain. Uh, we got a call on the line, but one thing I wanted to follow up on, and I, correct me if I heard incorrectly, uh, but um, that the information contained in a job report might not necessarily jibe with the unemployment figures. I thought I heard that. Is that the case where they tell a slightly different story about the employment picture? Well, we have two basic numbers that are monthly numbers that we look at. So it's the jobs added, and then it's the unemployment rate. Those don't always move together because they are calculated differently. And a lot of times on the news, what you hear is the unemployment rate. And for investors, we pay attention to the number of jobs added because it it is a harder number. It tells us more about uh, the improvement in labor and workforce. And of course, if we're all working, we're all going to be spending money. And that's what I'm seeing still in every place where I go. People are dropping some bucks. A familiar voice on the line for our first call from Pascagoula. We say good morning to Brother Daniel. Brother Daniel, you're on the air with us, so go ahead. Hey, how's everybody? Doing good. What do you have for us? All right. Well, listen, I love the name you mentioned, but you should have called it Take Advantage of Wall Street, Take Advantage of America. (laughs) Because uh, it's like so much fear was out and about when we were going through this, that should not have happened. It was like two kids playing games and figuring out who's going to win on this situation, the debt ceiling. And, 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 and it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of, it kind of gets you kind of upset, but then that's what we expect from Washington, D.C. But, um, I wanted to send y'all a shout out because I, I, I got my taxes together. I want to thank so much for our program at MPB on its finance. And I ask everyone, everyone, please, just like we used to watch Sesame Street back in the day, we need to tell our families to be more involved with these programs that provide education in our finance. Then Mississippi will not have to worry about those fears that go on in Washington and also go on in Jackson. Love you, bro- uh, Brother Tate. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to let y'all know that um, I, a lot of my seniors are listening to you, and I want to send blessings to y'all because without this program right here, which I wish was on prime time and, and on regular channels um, for making this happen. But listen, everybody, don't let Wall Street and D.C. have you caught up in confusion. When you're not sure of something, Please call MPB. We're not sure something. Read up on it. Get your education on what's happened. Don't just go by what the words coming out of these politicians' mouths say. We are a people. We are the Magnolia. We are a family of different cultures. Let us be one in union that we can show America how it is to come from the bottom to the top. Amen. 
All right. Amen. Yeah, thank you. And I will say that um, if you're busy, a lot of us working, certainly here I am working on the radio, um, you can listen to our podcast. Um, and so you can listen anytime later on. And yes, I that's my soapbox, Brother Daniel, is financial literacy, that if people really understand about money and how to control their money and be disciplined and understand about markets, then they can learn to build wealth. And that's really important for Mississippians because, you know, we've been on the bottom on household income, so we need to learn how to manage our pennies. All right, uh, Brother Daniel, always good to hear from you. Nancy, when we talk about the debt ceiling uh, discussions, one thing that it kind of reminded me of is some advice that we give frequently on the program, and that's kind of like if you're an investor, don't react too quickly, kind of ride things out. And in this case, you know, if we were kind of freaking out. Oh, gosh, we're going to if we don't do this, this and this is going to happen. But if uh, you ride through the storm, sometimes it's it's uh, smoother sailing on the other side, I guess. Well, definitely you need to have a plan um, that is a long-term plan, and you try not to react to some of these things that happen in the meantime. Certainly this debt ceiling issue and the standoff, um, it was critical. It was important. Uh, That's why I wanted to call it the bill-paying bill, because, you know, if you don't pay your bills, you hurt your credit report. And certainly that's what the U.S. was facing if we did not approve of all of this. But, yes, it is important to... Kevin, to have a plan in place to know um, that whatever happens, that your portfolio will be fine. What we have to watch for with our clients, so many of them are already living out of their income, out of their portfolios. And so they're already in retirement. They depend on that. So we need to make sure that their portfolios are structured in such a way that even if the stock market goes crazy, we have a way to be able to send them the money that they need so that they can pay their bills. One other thing, I might have asked about this on the air before, but I don't remember if I did or not, and it came up again, so I thought I would bring it up, and that is one of the local tennis centers uh, where I play uh, has now instituted a 4% uh, fee on all credit card uh, usage, credit or debit card uses. So my question, Nancy, is what is the real cost of us swiping our card that's generating that the companies are, I guess what they're doing is they charge the merchant for that. So, I mean, yes, yes, they do. What is that? What is it that we're paying for, I guess? I mean, is it? Well, go ahead. Yeah. The merchant is going to have to pay on any uh, card transaction, depending on whether it's debit or credit, anywhere from one to four percent. It could be that high as four percent. Um, if you do your debit cards, then that is going to be a lower charge to the merchant. But, of course, we always are cautioning our listeners when they use the debit card, then you have no way of saying, oh, gosh, no, that wasn't me because that money is immediately swiped out of your account. So we would prefer you to use that credit card. But more and more, Kevin, I'm seeing the same thing happening where these um, smaller businesses are saying, look, we can't afford that extra charge we can't raise our fees to compensate for that. So we're going to add it at the register. And so that hopefully is encouraging people to use more cash. At the same time, I don't see a lot of people using cash. And I certainly don't carry as much cash as I used to. Um, and we're looking for maybe other ways of handling that. But the credit card companies are making money with every swipe, everywhere you go. So in your opinion, is that a fair charge? Is it, I mean, is that the amount of money that it costs to do? I mean, I guess, I guess it's the, the, the electronic transfer or whatever, but I mean, is it a fair charge in your mind? 
Oh, gosh, that's a tough one. Certainly, you know, MasterCard and Visa, they're making a lot of money. And um, uh, they don't have to lower that fee. If you are a local company, you might be able to negotiate for something less than 4% on those card transaction fees. Um, But uh, bigger companies like a Walmart, they certainly have uh, lower fees that they deal with. But you still have to be able to manage that and manage the movement of money. And also, they're taking the risk that when you swipe your MasterCard or Visa, that you're going to pay that bill. What happens if you don't pay that bill? So they have to account for all of that. You're listening to Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app for your iPhone or Android phone. Then you get to listen to all the local MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives. Nancy's here to answer your personal finance questions this morning, and we'll also be talking about some other financially related topics throughout the hour. We do have a caller on the line, though, so we say good morning to Charles, who's calling in from Jackson. Charles, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. Hey, Nancy, I have a question for you. Now, earlier you mentioned about the, the unemployment, but the number of uh, new jobs created last, last month, and also we mentioned about the increase in wage rates that, that was low, so that was good as relates to in inflation. But the question is that, well, the, the, well, the thing is that if we have people in this country that are you know, just working, the working poor, uh, people living, you know, strapped financially every month, and there's an increase in wages, it means then that for inflation to be good or low, we're saying that people need to be struggling to live. Uh, the other thing is that, you know, we have individuals making $15, $20 an hour, and we have CEOs making millions of dollars a year. So that's also inflationary. I would, you know, how do we balance, balance those, two, those two out? Again, Poor people need to stay poor and rich people stay rich, and that makes inflation good. The other, uh, the other question is that uh, you were talking about credit card rates, and you know the rates that are charged by Mastercard and those, you know, Amazon or whomever that's you know that's providing services on cards. Um, you know that that fee is passed on in the cost of goods and services that we buy at the store every day. Also, you know, one of the things that credit card companies have been doing recently, they have this big thing about cash back. You know, that cash back cost is going somewhere. Somebody's paying for that cost. So the question is, is that also inflationary pressures? So I will shut up and listen. Okay. A lot of stuff in there, and it's connected. Um, and the first thing I would say to Charles is I don't like to see a big gap between people who are at the bottom and the people at the top. I don't think that's good for the overall economy. And certainly we want people to make a living wage, to be able to um, participate fully in the economy, to live reasonably. And we're starting to see some increases at the bottom because those service jobs have not been filled as fast. And I've seen um, hourly offers increasing at all kinds of places. But the problem that we run into at some point with wage increases is that when we look at the business model, the biggest expense that any business has is going to be labor. So when labor costs go up, a business is going to do what they can to pass on those increased expenses to their customers. So that the problem is it's kind of a loop. So if we pay more people more, 
how much of that then goes into higher prices on goods, and so that increase in wage just disappears because it takes more to live. And so we've got to find a way to balance that. I do have a problem with a lot of these uh, CEOs making ungodly amounts of money. Uh, If you look at U.S. businesses, U.S. corporations, as compared to, for instance, European corporations, they don't pay their CEOs as much as we do. And um, at a certain point, this becomes stupid money, and it just becomes a matter of uh, a bit of a game of, of who's going to be paid more, and it becomes unreasonable. Certainly, we want people to be paid enough to give them the incentive to work. We want our best and brightest to be leading the charge, but we also want people to be earning a living wage so they can participate. And I always believe that a good, strong middle class is going to be the backbone of our economy. And that's where we need to put most of our resources and um, and help that, that group in any way we can, whether it's through direct wages or through policies that assist that group in things like childcare, uh, elder care, housing, all kinds of things like that. Um, that is also connected to the uh, credit cards because, Charles, you mentioned, yes, when they charge more for all of these processing, they charge higher interest rates, that is passed on to the consumer, just like higher wages. And so we have to find a way to balance all of that. We are a capitalistic society. Um, I, I think it works quite well. We want companies to be making money. We don't want them to be making a killing off of our backs. <clears throat> so we've got some things to talk about while we wait for phone calls. So, Nancy, the first one <clears throat> is we'll talk about uh, qualities that make a good financial advisor. This is right up your alley there. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and, and the first would be, I, and this is something that you've talked about when you talked about your business, but uh, – you want your financial advisor to be transparent about any fees that they might charge. Yeah, I think that's probably the most important thing you can ask when you look for a financial advisor, if you're looking for professional help, is how are you paid? And there are three different ways that advisors are paid. They may be paid by a fee, a fee only, that's what my company does, which could be based on their time, an hourly fee, or it could be based on how much money you're asking them to manage, uh, a percentage of that, for instance. The other end of that would be commission advisors, and there are a lot of good commission advisors out there, but you just need to understand that that's how they are paid. They are paid by the companies that they're selling those securities to you with, and so those companies are paying that advisor, but again, it's sort of back to that gets passed on to you, um, even though it's not explicitly listed, it does get passed on to you as the investor. And so you just need to understand that their commission may vary depending on the product or the investment in which they put you in. So read the fine print of anything that you're handed, ask that question. And then the third way is a combination of the two. It is fee-based. So there may be some hourly or percentage fee as well as some commission product in the meantime. So just make sure you understand how that person is being paid. There could be some conflict of interest in what they are suggesting to you. Got a couple more qualities to talk about, but we do have a caller on the line. So we want to say good morning to Roger, who calls in from Florence. Go ahead, Roger. You're on the air with us. Good morning. Good show. Thank you for your clarity. I'd like you to compare 
they're not, it's very difficult. Compare and discuss, again, credit card implications for the individual, but also compare that with with uh, debit cards. Uh, to me, it looks simple. You give them your money, they make interest off of it, and then you get your money back in pieces as you take it out of your credit card. The ads make it sound real good, <laughs> but it's your money, and it's, and you can have it in your pocket rather than give it to them and let them. So uh, would you comment on those two things? Because I think the public is probably uh, gullible on that. Right, because with both a debit card and a credit card, we're just pulling a piece of plastic out of our wallets or we're using our phone to tap, and off we go. But these are two very different processes. So a debit card, that as soon as you swipe that card, your bank account is immediately grabbed. That money is grabbed out of your bank account, and it's gone. So if something happens and it's erroneous, somebody used your card, you're going to have to then uh, deal with your bank. You're going to have to wait for them to do an investigation. And if it turns out it was not you, then they will put the money back. Yes, you'll get the money back, but it's gone on the front end. If you use a credit card, it is a loan. So you are basically buying money from the credit card company. They're going to charge you interest if you let it go longer than the uh, bill paying cycle. And so it's not your money that's gone. And so if somebody takes your credit card and uses it incorrectly, you can immediately say when you get that statement, that was not me. I am not going to pay that bill. I don't lose that money out of my account. And then that has to be resolved. And if they decide it wasn't you, it just disappears off of your statement. So there's, it's two very different processes. And because if there's more risk for the credit card company with a credit card versus a debit, that's one of the reasons they're going to charge more to those vendors for every one of those swipes. Um, kind of a follow-up on that. So as, as you said, most credit card companies will automatically – well, it seems like automatically. When, when you get a statement, you just say, well, I didn't, I didn't buy that. I didn't charge that. Do they, do they or can they do any sort of investigation to see that you're telling the yes. truth? Yes, they usually will. And, and, of course, one of the things that I do now, and a lot of people will do this, I get alerts. So every time I use my credit card, even just to gas at the car or pay groceries – whatever, it pops on my phone. And that is to protect the credit card company because they want to know immediately if there's been a problem. So the quicker they can see something, they can shut it down and address those issues. So we're talking about a couple of the qualities that would make a good financial advisor. Uh, so, Nancy, one thing that a piece of advice we've given on the air frequently is that it's a good idea to meet sort of in person with someone that you think is uh, you might be your personal, uh, your financial advisor, that is. Because they really need to understand, you know, what your financial goals are. Right. And you need to be able to um, look that person in the eye. And uh, these days, that sometimes means we're doing that by Zoom. And um, really figure out, is this somebody I can trust and I can be comfortable with? Because it's really important, if you work with a financial advisor, that you put all your cards on the table. 
You know, you've got to be able to um, lay out your financial life, and sometimes that's a very intimate subject, to be able to put it all out there so that person can give you the best advice. And, you know, I cannot tell you, Kevin, the number of times I have people come in my office and say, oh, my gosh, I'm sure we're in the worst situation you have ever seen. And they put it all out there, and I'm thinking, no, I've seen worse. (laughs) Um, But um, I, I need to know that because if I don't have all the pieces of the puzzle, I can't make it all fit together nicely and develop a picture that works for that person and for that family. And um, so you need to be able to trust that person. You need to have a good fit personality-wise so that um, you can receive those recommendations and that advice and you can work together and be able to reach your goals. And then one last piece of advice, uh, and it talks about financial jargon. So you don't want your financial advisor using a bunch of terms that you're not familiar with. Yeah. And, you know, I have to say sometimes I'm guilty of that. I'm probably do that on the radio because every every business, every job has its jargon. And you just you get into that mode and you jump into it and you don't even realize you're using it. But you need to try very hard not to. And if you meet with somebody and they use a lot of words that you don't understand, stop them. Ask them for explanations. And if you have somebody who just wants to drop a bunch of words in to make them sound big and good, then maybe you just need to go down the road. Yeah, that's a good piece of advice. If, if, if you're discussing something and they use a term that you're not familiar with, please. And I, I would say this would apply not only to financial matters, but if you're visiting with your health care professional and they drop some sort of yeah, term that you're anybody. not familiar with, you know, make sure you understand you're paying these people for information and uh, you want to make sure that you're getting the most out of your money. Yeah, I mean, I had one with a, a health care issue. I was getting calls on uh, results of a test. And this person kept saying, you're PCP. And I'm, I'm nodding because I'm in my car and I'm in a hurry. And then I get off the phone. I'm like, what's a PCP? <laughs> and I finally figured out it's primary care physician. <laughs> Why wouldn't they say that? I, that the world of texting meets uh, the medical world yeah. on that one, I guess. That's always fun when you're check, texting with someone. They're using the little text shorthand and you're trying to figure out what the random string of letters actually means. So, you know, the Internet is full of lists and suggestions and that sort of thing. And it makes my job a little bit easier when I try to plan out some things that we talk about during the show. One of the ones that caught my eye was a recent one that was 11 common pieces of retirement advice that people ignore. The first one is start saving early. And Nancy, how early is early and why is this so important? Your first job, your very first job. And uh, when I was teaching at Mississippi College, I was always encouraging those students as they were graduating, sign up for that 401k as soon as you can, put in at least 10% because this is probably the most money you've ever made in your life with that first full-time job, and you're not going to notice it. And the more you can do early on in your career, as you get older and get more responsibilities, maybe you marry, maybe you have children, maybe life just comes at you and suddenly you can't put as much away. But if you have done a lot on the front end, it's still sitting there growing and earning for you. So try to front end load that retirement account. And I know it's hard for an 18 to 22 year old to think about retirement, you know, But if you just get started right out of the gate, it's going to start building up, and it's fun to see those numbers go. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Looks like we've got some callers on the line, so we'll start in Kansas City. Robert listening in on the public media app. Good morning, Robert. What do you have for us today? 
I have a quick question. Um, I'm probably going to look at getting a credit card, get like some cash back benefits and stuff like that, and have another line of credit open to improve my credit score. Um, I have student loans and stuff, and every all my other stuff is on automatic draft. Is there a reason why I wouldn't want to put everything as far as, a, as, as something that would be reporting to the credit bureau on automatic draft, and can I get my credit card company to do that? Well, I, I know my bank account, uh, Robert, will allow me to set it up so that the card can actually draw based on whatever the balance is. So you could do that with some automatic payments. The advantage of doing automatic payments is you're not going to forget. You know, it's going to hit that bank right. account every time. They're going to be paid on time. And we know that over a third of your credit score is going to be related to are you paying your bills on time. So if you miss a payment, which is easy to do, and I've done it with all of these electronic statements that get lost in my email, and I miss it, um, that's going to really ding your credit score. So automatic payments are great. Now, the problem is you've got to make sure there's money in your bank account to cover that. Um, I'm also a little bit of a control freak, so I want to make sure that I have what I need and I'm making those payments when I want to make them. But for a lot of people, automatic payments are the way to go. Okay, good. So there's no reason that I would want to not have a certain anything on automatic draft? I no, other than you, you could. Now, the thing with a credit card is we always encourage people with credit cards to pay the full balance every month if you can. If you can't, you're going to have to spread that out. So that's where you yeah. might get into a little bit of a dicey issue where you're setting it up on automatic. What if it does it only for the minimum? And now you have all of these interest charges going. Or what if you set it up to do the full amount and you weren't prepared to, to make the full amount and suddenly you can't pay your other bills? So that's the caution with all of that. But that would be the goal to pay off that card every month. And if you can't yeah. set up um, some sort of like, uh, I'm going to do it in three months and get rid of it. Yeah, my intention would just be generally just to get maybe the cashback benefits that it'll offer, uh, but just to have another line of credit open to improve that credit score. I actually, my, one of my roommates now is a uh, is a credit repair specialist. So I've been getting I've been getting coached on all this stuff. So it would be the credit card company that I would talk to about having the full amount deduct like withdrawn, right? Not the bank. Probably, but there may be an option on the bank side to set that up. Um, okay. But also right. think think about um, Robert. Do you do you have other credit cards? Do you have other lines of credit? No, I just have a debit card, uh, a car payment through a credit union that's set up on automatic draft for the full amount, uh, and student loans that are going to be okay. Start so coming in soon. Yeah, so this, this, yours is a case where adding a credit card might help you with your credit score. But for a lot of people, it's just a matter of maintaining what you have. And certainly, older lines of credit count more in your favor, too. Yeah, yeah. And I have not missed any payments anywhere on that. So that will actually improve my credit score greatly. And down the road, I'm looking at, you know, looking at buying a house. So. <clears throat> All right, uh, Robert, uh, thanks for the call. I, I'm uh, the yeah, same way. I think uh, 
the on-time payment is a big one, and I think that uh, really does help uh, keep your credit score up there. So we appreciate you calling in from Kansas City. One of the, I always like to get calls from off uh, far off destinations. So uh, thanks for the call. Let's stay on the phone lines, though. Uh, next, uh, a little bit closer, Oxford. Martha has called in today. Good morning, Oxford. Uh, good morning, Martha. Good morning. What do you have for us? Well, I'm listening to the program, and first of all, I want to comment on how helpful the program is. I really appreciate it. But the subject on the method of payment, for years, I did not even have a credit card and paid cash, but never once was I allowed a discount for using cash. I just gave the gave it up and used a credit card because it was more convenient. Right, but that has changed, and um, certainly that's been a pretty new change. Uh, Kevin, you mentioned seeing it suddenly. I'm seeing it just about everywhere I go. As far as smaller retailers are um, adding that, and they will they will ask you at the cash register. Is this cash or credit? And then they usually will have a sign on the front that tells you they're tacking on a certain percentage. Well, the cash benefit would certainly be something to consider. Well, at this point, yes. Um, certainly going by cash when you step into that and you're saving anywhere from 2 to 4%. Um, I always like to also think about um, even those retailers who don't charge you extra, I know that they're having to pay that out of pocket. So if I can pay cash and help them out, I like that idea too. Okay. Well, good to know. Thank you for your program. All right, Martha. Thank you for calling. Kind of a follow-up question to that uh, the credit card issue we were talking about. Um, what are your thoughts on putting all of your recurring bills, you know, like maybe your uh, your heating bill, your your you know all the the monthly bills that you pay, on a credit card in order to reap possible reward points or cash back points or cash back offers? Well, I I would say you just need to be disciplined if you do that. And certainly it doesn't make sense to put them all on there and then incur interest charges. And I think we mentioned on an earlier show that we're now seeing average interest charges on credit cards around the 24% range. Um, So if you're going to do that and You know, I like to play that game because I love my points, Kevin. You know, I just love my points. But um, you have to make sure that you have money in your bank account to be able to pay that full bill. And the thing is, you know, I like to use my credit card when I do all kinds of transactions online. I use it at the grocery store. I use it for all kinds of small things. Now, here's the problem. Sometimes I get really shocked when I get the statement at the end of the month because I think, how did I, how did I rack up that much in charges? But that can happen very easily if you're depending on it for just about everything, which means you need to keep up with that, pay attention to it, and know that you have the cash to clear it out at the end of the month. Let's start on the phone lines again. John has called in from Mobile. John, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Thank you, Kevin, for taking my call. Uh, Is it a bad idea to give your uh, Social Security number when you're joining up? Uh, Back in um, uh, late March and in May, I joined up uh, to take advantage of specials that were going on to the Big Blue Grocery Club and then the Big Blue Home Center. And um, one of the things they wanted, in addition to my, you know, license and 
whatever else they're asking. Oh, and my email is my social security, and I gave it, and I've, I've felt bad about it since. Gosh, John, um, you know, what you're talking about sounds a lot like what happens when you open any account, credit card account, financial account. Uh, you do have to submit your social security number, um, and they have to make sure you are who you say you are, and it matches everything. Um, and it could be that, that this type of membership is also requiring them to do a soft check on your credit. I don't know, but that will be required. You just need to make sure that anytime you give out your Social Security, you're giving it to an organization that is under privacy laws, certainly any brokerage, any bank. They're required to keep the, all of that private and you're not dealing with somebody who could just scatter it across the Internet. So I don't know about this particular organization. You just need to make sure that they are reliable, they are adhering to privacy law, and they're keeping that confidential. Okay. All right. That sort of settles my mind. I felt really bad about doing that. Uh, John, the other thing I would say, too, is, you know, the whole phishing scam and that sort of thing, if, if you're contacting the organization to sign up for something, I would feel a little bit more comfortable about that than vice versa. And I've I've come to the point this day and age where anytime anybody says something to me via email or or text asking for any kind of information, I, I, I ignore them because there's too many different kind of scams going on out there. But I, like I say, I think the fact that maybe if you uh, initiated the, the contact, that, that maybe it's just a little bit safer. But we appreciate your phone call and we'll stay in. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Nancy. Well, I was going to say, Kevin, do you remember, of course, do you, do you remember checks? I remember <laughs> checks. And we used to put our Social Security numbers on the checks, you know, because it was like, oh, well, you know, it makes it easier when we go to the grocery store. We don't have to write it in there. Um, but we just toss those Social Security numbers around like, you know, breadcrumbs. Um, and we're much more cautious about them. And we should be cautious because that's important. Somebody could grab your number and, um, and you're going to have an identity theft issue. And that's really hard to get out of. We'll stay in Mobile. Cindy has called in for a question. Good morning, Cindy. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Hey, I have a, a comment first, and that is about the lady that said she didn't remember ever getting a discount for cash. And what I'm seeing now is not so much that they're promoting a cash discount. It's that if you use a credit or debit card, they're going to charge an extra percentage, which covers that merchant fee. So I think it's kind of... Uh, you know, it, people don't perceive it as a discount. If you pay cash, they just start scrambling to, to avoid the extra right. charge. So either right. way, it's, it's it is less if you pay cash. Yeah, it's sort so, of the carrot and um, the stick. They used to give you the carrot yeah. of a discount, and now it's the stick of we're going to charge you more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the bad thing is if they charge you more, then the merchant fee is also going to be higher than it would have been. So it's crazy. But anyway, um, my other question is about my mother. Um, she's retired. She has um, gone back to work in retirement because due to a, a lot of personal circumstances, she really didn't have a lot, well, hardly anything saved. And so um, she has put together now about $75,000 of savings that, we are trying to get her to do something besides a savings account with it, but since it's all she has, she's very reluctant to do any kind of um, investing. And I just wondered if you might have, for somebody in their early 70s, um, 
some ideas about places that would be a good place to put some of that money for a little more interest income or dividend income. Right. Um, Cindy, uh, you know, she she is um, an investor who is a novice. And so that would be my caution there. And certainly if I look at interest rates right now, it, it makes me more comfortable saying at least get her to do some CDs. And she can earn more than she can earn on a savings account. And she would still feel comfortable that that money is secure because it would be backed by FDIC insurance. She is not going to lose anything. Now, um, you might not have any luck of getting her to invest in a stock, even a blue chip type uh, mutual fund. That may be too much. But certainly right now, at least she can do some CDs. Maybe she can split that 75000 into three $25,000 pieces with different maturities on it. And at some point along the way, as that money grows, she might get a little more comfortable and be willing to, to invest in something a little bit longer term that will give her security at the end of her life. But, you know, I wouldn't push her too much. The good thing is there's no debt and there's only 30000 left to pay off her house, so she really could turn around and pay off the house. Um, and that's been a, a question. So... Anyway, well, in, in her I, yeah, in her case, that that amount to pay off the house might make sense um, because that's going to be less monthly outgo for her and may make her feel comfortable. I don't know what the interest rate is on that mortgage, but it's probably comparable to what she's making on the savings account, and she would still have some cash left over to put aside. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I'll try to bring that one up. Somebody okay, good luck. Bonds, but with the government not being very <laughs> very good at balancing their budget, I don't know how I feel about that. So. Well, the government doesn't need to balance their budget. Households have to balance their budget. <laughs> but uh, the government is a going concern. It's going to be uh, still here, and um, they are able to create their own currency, so we don't have to worry about that. Treasuries are still good. All right, uh, thanks for the call. Uh, Mike and Hernando, we won't be able to get to your call this morning. Sorry that we ran out of time, but uh, if you want to email the show, send it to money at mpbonline.org, or we will also be back here next Tuesday at 9 if you'd like to call in and have your question answered then. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks. So for Dr. Nancy Lotcher-Janerson, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.